Well, here's my first question. Do you think it's a little dangerous handing out guns in a bank? Did you know that Al Gore tried to steal the 2000 election? Hello and welcome to Michael and Us, uh, an odyssey through the life and art and influence of Michael Moore. I'm here today with... Luke Savage. And my name is Will Sloan, I should mention. (laughs) Today, um, I know that you probably thought we were done with all of the anti-Michael Moore conservative documentaries from 2004, but... uh, We found another one. Yeah, we found one more. It's called Celsius... 41.11, colon, the temperature at which the brain, dot, 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 begins to die. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I was pretty uh, disheartened as the movie began, and I think my mood kind of picked up because we got, I think, flourishes of jingoism, which which were kind of unrivaled, and more than anything we've we've seen, even in some of the shitty right-wing films we've watched, and uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. This movie obviously came kind of at the heat of the 2004 election. Uh, We see footage from George W. Bush accepting the nomination at the GOP convention. We see Giuliani and McCain and their speeches. I don't know. It's just amazing to think how far we've come. It is a funny funny document. Um, And it's a funny document as well of a time when... I mean, so the numerous Republicans we hear from in the film are just like utterly convinced that the Democrats who basically offered really tepid opposition to stuff George Bush was doing, like radically diverge um, from him. And like, they believe that that the election is kind of this world historic thing about America's place in the world, which is just like hilarious that anyone believes that, especially since like, Virtually everyone we see in this movie is probably voting for Clinton now. All these people get, they, they take, they take such issue with like the fact that like, John Kerry doesn't seem to want to talk about American exceptionalism in like quite as like overt terms as George Bush does. But it's great because finally, you know, years later, Hillary Clinton invented the bipartisan solution, which is just to talk about American exceptionalism while stumping with Bush officials as she did a few weeks ago. This thing about American exceptionalism, you know, I've said this before, but the recurring strain in these anti more documentaries we've seen um, to kind of try to nail the left on the idea that it doesn't actually like America. Yeah. And that if we can prove that they're against America and what America stands for, then then we've got them. Yeah. And uh, I think, I, I guess a good way to kind of go into talking about the film itself, I mean, there's not a lot of structure, but I think that one one sort of meta observation I think we could make, having seen a bunch of these films, these kind of anti-Michael Moore films, is that by doing this kind of uh, fake forensic analysis of 9-11 in Fahrenheit 9-11 he kind of bequeathed to us this filmmaking style like we've observed that a lot of these films actually kind of ape Michael Moore's own style and his tropes and his cinematography and stuff this one doesn't in the structural sense it doesn't in the structural sense but it but it but I mean it does go through like the film insofar as it has structure goes through a bunch of points that Michael Moore is supposed to have made and then, like, you know, attacks, you know, attacks them. And the whole film consists of these kind of supposed experts doing the exact same kind of 
commentary that Michael Moore does throughout a lot of Fahrenheit 9-11, particularly around, you know, the Florida recount issue in the 2000 election. Yeah, very kind of fuzzy commentary with not a lot of specifics. Yeah, with uh, with a lot of things that are really meant to be these kind of absolute, like, gotcha uh moments where it's like, oh, well, I guess that just... Like, like, I love it, the one part where the guy is like, and they couldn't find a single black person who had been disenfranchised or something. Like, there's all these little moments like that. I think uh, these words need to be said somewhere on national TV, and, and they are, there is no terrorist threat. There is no terrorist threat. When you talk about a dictator, there's pros and there's cons. If they provide free health care, a dictator provides free health care, I like that dictator. If he provides university and education for everyone, I like that dictator. Time is not on our side. I will not wait on events while dangers gather. I will not stand by as peril draws closer and closer. The war on terror will not be won on the defensive. Any attack will be met with a swift and a certain response. If we wait for threats to fully materialize, we will have waited too long. I just want to do a quick recap of all the anti-Moore films that we've done so far. Oh, wow. We, I don't even think I could remember them all. We had Fahrenheit 9-11, which to my mind was the definitive one. That, God that was, bless. That was a real point-by-point point rebuttal, and it had kind of a real all-star cast in it. You know, it had... Uh, Dick, uh, what's his name, who used to work on the Clinton campaign. It had that... Dick Morris. Dick Morris, yeah. yeah it had that uh, Democratic senator in it. Right. Uh, had a ton of other... Ann Coulter was in it. Of course, yeah. Uh, there was Michael Moore Hates America, which was the best of the lot, I think. It yeah. was quite charming That's in the, retrospect. That's the Canadian one, right? No, no, that was Manufacturing Dissent. Oh, God, I can't even... Michael Moore that. Hates America was the one with oh, the guy... Oh, it's the guy with the... Yeah, the... the Didn't you like that he's, one? He's kind of sympathetic. In you know, movie. I know we really trashed that one when we watched it, but looking back, it just feels like a summer's breeze. <laughs> like, uh, th- that, that's the one I think I liked. That's in my upper tier of movies I've watched on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, Manufacturing Descent was the Canadian one, and of course, An American Carol by the Zucker brother. This one, uh, Celsius 41.11, is basically kind of a pale shadow of Fahrenheit 9-11. Yeah. It covers a lot of the same ground less persuasively. and But what's interesting is, even though it was overshadowed at the time, this movie was produced by a group called Citizens United. And if you're thinking, wait, is that the same Citizens United? They, they went on to other things. Yeah, it is. Yes, it's that <laughs> Citizens United. Citizens United is a group that makes these uh, right-wing propaganda films. I'm on their website now. They're celebrating 25 years. Just released a movie called Torchbearer starring uh, Phil Robertson. Oh, wait, it's coming to theaters October 7th. So. <laughs> it, look, it looks like... The cover of it makes like it looks like it could be directed by like some kind of like like hick Lenny Riefenstahl. It has uh, the poster of Torchbearer starring Phil Robertson. Has a picture of Phil Robertson holding the Holy Bible with a gun around his around his body and like Rambo ammunition, and he's he's got like this cloudy sky behind him. And the tagline is "When man stops believing in God." He'll believe in anything. I'm not sure if it's a documentary or not, but some of their other films include Our Sacred Honor, Occupy Unmasked, Fire from the Heartland, America at Risk. Uh, Celsius 41.11 is an early film from them. 
And uh, yeah, they they changed America. So <laughs> you got to give them that. Now, we should say that this film, I mean, Michael Moore's presence, I think the word used was uh, spectral, you know. He's he's kind of more present in in spiritual form, and he's not. Yeah, he's, he's not like really Doctor cor- Mabusa. Yeah, he's not really corporeal. <laughs> the poster of this movie has a photoshopped image of Michael Moore next to John Kerry, and in front of them are a bunch of like stop Bush ralliers. Uh, yeah, and then with like the most outrageous signs you could find, like there's one that's like sign up for Marxism classes. <laughs> but basically the only times we see more in the film are we hear him, we hear an interview with him where he says there's no terrorist threat, which I think is familiar from all of these films. Yeah. Uh, and the movie tries to rebut the left on five points. And it, during every one of these segments, we see a different quote by Michael Moore flash yeah. on the screen in front of a picture of him at the Oscars. And usually it's some stupid facetious quote like, um, well, we should just give the Arabs and Israelis bombs so they can blow each other up and that'll solve it. Yeah. Which was probably just a bad joke yeah. that Moore made at the yeah. time. The movie opens uh, with a Eisensteinian montage of a lot of left-wing protesters, but the movie doesn't really differentiate between them. We see anti-war protesters, we see... There's a lot of kind of quite graphic things in this movie too, mm-hmm. um, like dead children and things like that. But There's a, We see an image of like somebody in the air where like cutting off somebody's hand, yeah. and you see the bloody yeah, stump. Yeah, the stump. But it's, yeah. it's unclear like what any of these images are actually... Depi- like they could just be anything. And also... Um, a lot of them intersperse like actual historical documentary footage with stuff that looks like modern newsreel footage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really just all over the place. But we see this opening montage of, yeah, a lot of left-wing protesters of various, you know, whether it's anti-war protesters or 9-11 truthers yeah. or Marxists or just... Let's not call 9-11 truthers left-wing. Let's just like, let's they get their own okay, category. Okay, listen, like, I'm, I'm putting myself in the headspace of this movie now. This is what the movie <laughs> is saying, not me. So it's just putting all of these disparate groups under, you know, the liberal heading. Okay, well, I, I just, you know, I do want to talk about, uh, I mean, one of the things this film doesn't address is the fact that jet fuel doesn't burn hot enough to melt steel beams. Well, we see it's the... clearly a, a controlled demolition. Well, I know, we see, see the tower come down, and, yeah, and I'm mean, sorry. Sorry, towers don't come down like that. Yeah, and it doesn't say anything about chemtrails either, so I don't really believe this film, to be honest. But then we see some of the interview subjects who then say, God, all of these people on the left are comparing Bush to Hitler. And then we see a bunch of people holding signs of like, George W. Bush with a Hitler mustache, or Bush with the ass as a swastika. And there's a great Michael Moore quote about, um, like, he the, says... The Patriot Act? The Patriot Act is, is, is America's Mein Kampf, and then when they show it to you, they, like, include this image of, like, the Mein Kampf book cover, like, in case you don't know yeah. what that is. Yeah. We begin from the premise that John Kerry is a decent man with a distinguished record of public service, as is George W. Bush a president dedicated to leading America to victory in the struggle against terrorists determined to destroy us. So how is it we have people comparing our president to Adolf Hitler and screaming anybody but Bush? I would vote for a single cell organism over George W. Bush. There's a remarkable phenomenon in this election, which is the way in which uh, the president has been demonized, the level of hostility, hatred, even paranoia about him is really quite unprecedented. And so they say, God, you know, 
I thought that um, in America we didn't compare people to Hitler. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's a very hyperbolic comparison. I mean, he's just George W. Bush. But then, of course, the movie spends the rest of his running time playing the Hitler card at every opportunity. Every, everything's about everything's about Hitler. Yeah, uh, I mean the the Godwin's law of kind of geopolitics at this time was that everything, whether it was the immediate response after nine eleven to the Iraq War or anything subsequently, you know any further prospect of war during the Bush administration. It was always, everything was Munich in 1938, mm -hmm. and it was always like, you know, uh, the, the, the Democrats and the liberals and the left, they want to appease, and, you know, George Bush is basically Winston Churchill, and that film, this film does a shit ton of that, that stuff. The movie assembles a group of right-wing talking heads, uh, various experts. Um, let's let's go let's go through them. It's pretty low wattage in general. I'm sorry to say, a lot of kind of D-list uh, people. The big get is Fred Dalton Thompson. Uh, Rest in power. Yeah, who you'll recall from uh, Law and Order and his failed presidential bid. The American people have to decide what kind of president they want. Do they want one that is forward-leaning? and is willing to make decisions based on the primary focus, not being second-guessed or what the front page of the New York Times might say six months later, but the protection of the American people? Or do we want one who says, I will defend the United States after any attack that we receive? He's definitely the big one. The only other one I'd ever heard of was Michael Medved, the uh, neocon radio host, there's a there's a great one who works like he's like supposed to be a journalist I guess and he works for some some it's like senior writer and it was like U.S. and World News or something yeah one which which sounds like a fake news sounds like a front for something yeah uh, I guess the other big get is I'm looking at the list now and apparently Bill Salmon vice president of Fox News is in there I don't know who he is I don't remember vice president him. of Fox News. But the movie tries to address five common leftist arguments against George Bush. I'm probably not going to remember what they all are, but let's start with the first one. Which the, is the best. The idea that George W. Bush stole the 2000 election. Well, turns out... Get this. Get, get, get this, libtards. Actually, Bush won it, and it was Al Gore who tried to steal the election. <laughs> Could you try to... Okay, so it's really... like Evidence <laughs> for this includes things like the that Gore did an, an interview on election night where he basically said, like, things are looking good and I think we're winning. And this was, like, used as evidence for he was, like, suppressing voter turnout and, like, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, he was it's... trying to spin the vote on election day. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the movie's main line of attack was that so as we all know the major networks prematurely announced florida for gore this movie argues that they did that because florida is one of the only states maybe the only state that has two time zones in it and so a lot of people reported when the polls closed at seven o'clock on the eastern side of florida but the polls didn't close yet on the western side the polls closed at eight o'clock mm -hmm. there and the western side is a predominantly conservative area. So the movie argues that because all of the networks called it for gore, that suppressed the Bush voter turnout in the western part of Florida. They all saw the news and said, oh, well, what's the point? Yeah, I, I mean, okay. So, God, I feel like I just like burned a lot of calories even trying to get yeah. that out there. But that's the movie's argument. Uh, and also, get this, Al Gore's campaign tried to suppress the votes of servicemen serving overseas. Yeah, and they have this remarkable story where it's like a specific guy who'd been involved in, I guess, rescue operations aboard the USS Cole. 
And somehow it's like, and his ballot was like invalidated or something. And I don't know how, like, it's possible. How can you, like, I mean, perhaps I'm just wrong about this, but it sounds kind of like if it's a secret ballot, how do you know an individual person's ballot? I perhaps mean, the guy said later that he voted for George Bush. I think the implication... But then how would he know if if his was one of the ballots that... I mean, I don't know. I guess the implication is just that, like, Al Gore assumed that all the servicemen would vote Republican, as any any God-fearing like, person who like, saves his country it's would. Like, it's like, you've heard that, that it was, like, poor black people that were disenfranchised. <laughs> but let me tell you, it's really disenfranchised the troops. Oh, yeah, they they do address <laughs> the, uh, the idea that black people were disenfranchised. Um, and basically, they address it to say, no, they weren't. They ba- they there's, say, a, there's a lot of people saying, like, the blacks this, the, <laughs> the blacks, blacks that. that. Yeah. You know, the liberals say the blacks weren't oh, able to vote, but no. in fact, we found no examples of voter suppression. Yeah. So <laughs> no, they, they weren't really approaching it. Yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not exactly a forensic analysis. So where does the film take us next, Will? I guess the next <laughs> argument is the idea that George W. Bush didn't do enough to prevent 9-11. And this brings us back to the old chestnut. The familiar arc here. The, the old chestnut that really we got to blame Bill Clinton for 9-11. Yeah. I feel like, do we even really need to reiterate this? Nah, it's kind of I mean, very it's, familiar it's at just, this point. It's dumb. And I mean, n- nothing about this movie has aged well. In fact, I suspect even a few months after it came out, it hadn't aged well. But like that is such a an of its time, like partisan talking mm-hmm. point. It's just uninteresting. Who cares? The third is the idea that George W. Bush was chipping away at our civil liberties with uh, his Patriot Act. Uh-huh. Well, actually, uh, the Patriot Act is just using the same parameters that the police went about investigating the mob. And if we use those parameters to investigate the mob, why not terrorists? Do you have anything to add? Nah. Uh, the fourth point... God, what is the fourth point? I'm already forgetting. Uh, oh, that Bush lied about WMDs. Right. I'm amazed that you can remember any of this stuff. But their defense for that one is pretty funny because it's like, it's like, well, uh, like British intelligence, like also like got it wrong. So and look like, at all these clips of like Hillary Clinton and John Kerry saying that they thought Saddam had WMDs, yeah. and yet they flip flopped on it later. Yeah. The point seems to be that. Well, everyone believed he had WNDs. Mm. Why Why should George Bush be any different? Okay, there is one thing that this film gets at, I mean, in the wrong direction, but which I think is like 100% bang on, which is that, you know, the 2004 election, there was a lot of posturing by these Democrats who had, like, voted for the mm. war. I mean, the, the war was the definitive issue of that election. And you had a Democratic ticket where both senators on the ticket voted for the war. There'd been little real opposition f- from really the you know, congressional or Senate Democrats. Um, and this movie, one of its big charges against John Kerry is that he's kind of a weather vane. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think they're exactly right about that. I mean, another thing they say is that, I mean, they're just right for the wrong reason. But like the other thing they say is they, they attack him for like using his war record in the 2004 campaign because then they're like, oh, well then he was like this pussy, like anti-war person after he came back from Vietnam. But it's like, of course, the lesson there is that, you know, like Kerry tried to like triangulate the Republicans on their issue, which is this kind of like nationalist jingoism, wrap himself in the flag. And what he could have done is said, uh, you know, I was part of an unnecessary war and that's how, you know, I know that like we shouldn't engage in these things. I know from personal experience or whatever. Of course he didn't do that. Because it's true. He's a weather vane. Well, like part of Kerry's whole brand was the idea that, hey, if you want the war president, this guy had served and defended in the war and yeah. was proud of the fact that he defended the yeah. war. But if you want the anti-war candidate, well, this guy 
testified before Congress yeah. and said it was a uh, a waste of time and lives and right. uh, there was rape and pillaging. Right. And instead of and instead of like offering a counter narrative to that, like a comprehensive counter narrative, the Democrats just tried to like fight the Republicans on their own terrain, which is like a losing proposition. I think the film overplays its hand a little bit when it says that the Viet Cong were playing John Kerry's speech at Congress to the POWs. <laughs> In Vietnam saying, hey, hey, even your colleague John Kerry, I don't know why I'm speaking in like a, <laughs> a Russian accent, even, even your colleague John Kerry thinks what you're doing is a waste of time and you're all war criminals. And you know what? This might have weakened uh, our troops resolve. John McCain and some of the other POWs are critical figures here because they have now spoken out about John Kerry's anti-war activity. And, uh, and more than one of them have said, look, we were being tortured to say the things that John Kerry said freely before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And then after he said that, they would play back for us his testimony and taunt us with it and say, well, why, why don't you admit the war crimes? John Kerry, who was over here in Vietnam, he does it. Why don't you do it? And then it certainly would have made it harder for them to resist. I think it overplays hand in that oh, argument. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. So, <laughs> God, what else is there even to say? What a slog. I mean, the film, I mean, the film, I guess the kind of final arc of it, um, after we get the, you know, this, what's supposed to be kind of this definitive takedown of, of Carrie, uh, which I feel like we've already touched on, is there's, um, a kind of crescendo of twee jingoism that is really, I mean, unrivaled, which, which culminates, it, it's, um, the, the musical accompaniment is the I Vow to Thee My Country from the Jupiter portion of Gustav Holt's The Planets, mm-hmm. which, like, I mean, if you don't if you don't know the piece I'm referring to, like seriously, search it search it right now. We'll, we'll on play it underneath this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and then just imagine like there's all these clips that I guess are supposed to represent like real like real well, America. Well, I mean, like this is I, we've said that the other movies are ham-handed in their use of this iconography, but this one you actually see like a waving American flag fading into Mount Rushmore, yeah. fading into like th- there's this weird montage of. <laughs> One of these conservative intellectuals is talking about George W. Bush as, you know, this great leader and decider, and it just cuts to pictures of random Americans. Yeah. Like yeah. a guy on an assembly line, or, yeah. you know, a woman in a garden, or, or some guy at a barbecue. We're, we're, Kids. One, we're one step away from, like, fields of wheat, like, like waving in the breeze. Yeah, but, like, that would not even have been out of place. Just no. this random uh, slideshow of yeah, Americans. It's very it feels very morning in America. Yeah. And it climaxes with George Bush uh, throwing out the first pitch in a baseball game. It's pretty, it's pretty fascist. It's kind of the, the subtext seems to be that like, like the, the president actually like, like he, he's like the embodiment of the whole nation. Like the nation, like it's very, it's very uh, uh, Hobbesian. If I, if I, (laughs) if I do like, like the, the, uh, the president is just the union of, of particulars of all these like individual people. And, uh, you know, like, we're, we're, every every American is just part of like the body of the president. That sort of seems to be what it's it's getting at. And you know, uh, <laughs> it's hypocritical because the point you raised during the movie was that you know we see scenes of Saddam's Iraq, and yeah. there's a montage of just Saddam Hussein on billboards everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so in that case, and it's like they're trying to all this all this like all these military parades in Iraq. It's like it's really sinister when it's Iraq. Then this just, cult of personality. Yeah, this cult of personality and this idea around like this this great revered like 
leader, justified by all this, like, you know, it's, it's really, and then, yeah, and like military parades, guys with guns, and it's like, they don't, uh, they don't recognize the irony. This movie ends the same way that Fahrenheit 9-11 ends. Uh, I feel like I probably have a much better memory for this shit than you do. Yeah. But both of the movies end with basically a montage of these talking heads saying, well, okay, we didn't find WMDs, but it was still the right decision. Yeah. I mean, who knows what would have happened otherwise? Because yeah. we know he was going to get WMDs. Yeah. We know that, we know that uh, he was trying to get them. So, yeah, maybe a year later there would have been a mushroom cloud. Yeah, which is like, that's the argument that... Uh, it keeps resurfacing for like um massive bombing campaign in Syria is like, mm. well, it's a total catastrophe, but it's like if we'd have bombed it, maybe it wouldn't be as much of a catastrophe. Mm. Maybe we should start bombing it now or it'll be more of a catastrophe. These uh, these wonderfully kind of circuitous arguments that can't actually be like rebutted because they're they're just based in this kind of idealized, like unknowable future. You know, we didn't bury those talking points in, like, 2004, alas. This moment in the life of our country will be remembered. Generations will know if we kept our faith and kept our word. Generations will know if we seized this moment and used it to build a future of safety and peace. The freedom of many and the future security of our nation now depend on us. My fellow Americans... I ask you to stand with me. Mr. Chairman, delegates, fellow citizens, I'm honored by your support and I accept your nomination for President of the United States. So uh, I guess one final bit of housekeeping is that, you know, it's long been uh, an ambition of ours to have, you know, a few guests on this show. And we know that there are a lot of really great people listening to the show. We know that, you know, Werner Herzog is a listener. We know that uh, Marilyn Manson is a listener. And we're quite sure, uh, you know, Noam Chomsky obviously goes without saying. But our real ambition, we don't actually want to talk to any of those people. There's there's one one man that, you know, we, we want to get to. And, you know, we've already had some support from uh, a few of you on social media. So thanks for that. Uh, but I think we're going to need the Michael and us army to kind of, <laughs> you know, step it up a notch. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, we'd like to get Michael Moore on this podcast, you know. And it's we, time. And we know he's listening. We know he's been listening from the very beginning, from uh, our first toe dip into the slacker uprising, uh, you know, we know that he's been with us through the thickets of the awful truth and, you know, Michael Moore hates America and, you know, it's, it's time for, uh, you know, it's, it's time for him to join us. What, I, what say you? I totally agree. I think that, you know, for a long time, I was really afraid of Michael Moore finding out about this podcast because, you know, we've taken a somewhat jaundiced eye, <laughs> Uh, towards his body of work. But I think at this point, even though we don't like most of what he's made, uh, <laughs> we've liked we've liked certain things here and there. And also, like I think we clearly take his work much more seriously than anybody else in the world <laughs> right now. And I think for that, we deserve an audience with the man. Yeah, I mean, you know, in all seriousness, this podcast has been about a body of work, which much of which was very important to us, both kind of... 12 to 15 years ago mm -hmm. and it's been about revisiting that through the lens of current events and through the lens of everything that's happened since 
And, you know, maybe Michael Moore's done that as well, and maybe he wants to have an earnest uh, conversation with us. So it's an open invitation, Michael. We hope that uh, you'll join us. And if you're part of the uh, Michael and Us hordes, please tweet at Michael Moore. Tell him that it's a great show and that it would be in his best interest to uh, to come come on. Yeah, Facebook, email, whatever means you have your, at your disposal. Snapchat, WhatsApp, anything. Yeah. Carrier pigeon. so um assuming that uh i mean we're gonna take for granted that michael moore is gonna be on the next episode but but in case that doesn't happen will uh what are we gonna do next next week is our odds and ends episode yes we're getting towards the end of this particular podcast experiment but uh there's still a bit more blood in the stone (laughs) so next week we're gonna watch one of michael moore's only acting roles in the 2000 hit comedy Lucky Numbers, starring John Travolta and I think Lisa Kudrow. Wow. I think it's Lisa Kudrow. Uh, Michael Moore plays Lisa Kudrow's, I think, like, loser brother or cousin or something. Okay. So this is really the road not traveled for Michael. He could have been kind of a Chris Farley-like comic character actor. We're going to pair that up because there's not enough there. Uh, (laughs) We're going to pair that up with um, his Rage Against the Machine music videos. And if I can find Pets or Meat, The Return to Flint, I'll, we'll watch it. And if not, I think we'll watch his short documentary, And Justice for All. Which, which, which is about what? I, I'm pretty sure it's, it aired as, as part of an episode of The Awful Truth, but it was kind of like a short film hmm. unto itself. And I'm pretty sure it's the one where he tries to get a ficus tree to run for the Senate or something. Wow. So um, we're into the real deep cuts, yeah. folks. Um, we're not we're not playing around anymore. And I think the faint-hearted uh, this would this would be a good time to turn back. So after the odds and end ep- episode, um, we'll have uh, Where to Invade next, which is a film that you and I saw at TIFF yeah. in 2015, and it's the real reason we're doing this podcast. It's the one that kind of sparked. I suppose like, it was. It yeah. planted the seed in our mind for something like this. That's right. Yeah. So Michael and us, Army, you know what to do next week. Send your invitations to Michael himself. But until then, I've been Will Sloan. And I've been Luke Savage. Now watch this drive. John boy, oh John boy, tell us which way the wind's blowing today. John boy, oh John boy, tell us which way you're going today. Do you believe in anything strongly enough? To stick with your guns when the going gets rough Or do you just want to win? John Boy, please tell us which way the wind's blowing again After all, you're the one with your finger in the wind John Boy, ah, John Boy should we believe everything that you say? John boy, oh John boy, do you believe anything that you say? How can it be everyone else is wrong? And you just keep changing the words to your song. Just how bad do you want to win? John boy, please tell us which way the wind's blowing again. After all, you're the one with your finger in the wind. Jumbo, ah, oh, 
John Boy. Tell us which way the wind's blowing today, John Boy. John Boy. Tell us which way you are going today. Do you believe in anything strongly enough to stick with your guns when the going gets rough, or do you just want to win? John Boy, please tell us which way the wind's blowing again. After all, you're the one who keeps changing with the wind.